Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with me to James chapter 4 this morning. I was thinking about preparing a message, something like, you know, 23 reasons to become more like Jesus in 2023, or 23 reasons why Jesus is coming back. Whoa, 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 whoa. Come on now. We don't want to jinx it. But, you know, I felt like as I prayed about, Lord, would you have me to do something different than what we're doing? And I think going through the word of God, verse by verse, not, not veering, is what he told me to do. So we're in James chapter 4 this morning. Stand with me, if you will. James chapter 4. How many of you guys had, were at the Christmas Eve service? This is amazing, man. The Lord did a great thing, and it was so a lot of hard work. Thanks, everybody who participated in that. And, uh, of course, not, uh, Preston and Nadia for leading the charge. Once again, want to thank them. That service will be up uh, this coming week, so you'll be able to see that if you missed it. Uh, we weren't able to get the live stream working, but uh, we did record it. So uh, be looking for that. So James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is uh, to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, we thank you for your word. This morning we ask you, Lord, to uh, help us to have hearts to not only hear what you would have to say to us today, Lord, but to apply it to our lives. God, we don't want to hear this for somebody else. This morning, we want to hear it for, from you to us. And so we ask you, Lord, to help us set this year in the right course by hearing from you this morning. Would you direct our steps? Prepare our hearts for communion later in the service as well, Lord. We thank you for the time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, uh, English Christian evangelist, an author, Leonard Ravenhill, once said that there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the one God knows we are. Very impactful uh, quote there. And I think the point of it is that we don't care, we shouldn't really care about how we view ourselves or how other people view us. The, the, only, the only thing that we should really care about, the only version of ourselves that, we should, that really matters is the one that God says that we are. And I think the aim of the word of God is to, to, to show us who we really are in, before his eyes. His desire is for you to know. So it's easy for us to just block our hearts off from what's being said. And if I was perhaps one of those Christians that James was writing to, I may easily block off what he's saying because it's so direct. It's so pointed, and it's, it's meant to be that way because God is trying to show us uh, who we are before him. This is written 
some only 10, listen, 10 to 20 years after Jesus walked the earth, died, and rose again from the dead. 10 to 20 years, James is writing a letter to Christians, and he's saying, hey, wake up. What are you doing? It's why it's in the New Testament, folks, because that has not changed. God is still trying to instruct us, exhort us, help us to live for him. And I think there's no better way to start off 2023 than hearing directly from our Father about how we are to live our lives in 2023. What are we supposed to do, Lord? How can I change to become more like you? I don't want to just keep going through the motions, Lord. I want to become more like Jesus. Amen? I hope that is your if you make a, a New Year's resolutions, and I hope, uh, you know, that w well, whether you do or you don't, it doesn't matter. But, but I, I hope that one of them is to become more like Jesus this year. I hope that's, the, the, and, and, and if it isn't, then this message is directly for you because you're, you're, off, you're off aim. You, you're living in for something that you ought not be living for, according to the book, uh, James chapter 4. It's the world. James talks to us here in this chapter. It's, it's, he, he starts off with just a few sentences in chapter 1, right away just revealing the flaws of these people. He says, hey, you lack joy in your trials. You lack joy in your trials. And, and then he goes on and on about trying to help these Christians grow in their faith. Chapter 4 is a doozy, folks. These believers were... Walking with God while holding their hands with the world. That's what he's talking about here. Some people say that James isn't addressing believers in this particular chapter. I don't, I think he is addressing believers. Because there's nothing new under the sun, Christian. Hey, these things have been happening, they'll continue to happen. And here's the thing is the Lord wants you to know this morning that it's up to you what you do this morning. It's up to you on how you live your life. He'll direct your steps, but you have to walk them out. And he even gives you the power to do that. So uh, James is revealing to these believers that they're cheating on God. That they're being unfaithful to the Lord. Hey, it, you can't be in a relationship with God and be unfaithful and think he's okay with that. He's not okay with that. Uh, don't ever mistake the silence of God for his permission, ever. Sometimes he allows us to walk in disobedience, but don't ever think that he thinks it's okay, because he does not. And here's what I want you to understand, that God, you know, James makes it clear that if you are living for the world, you're at enmity with God. It's direct opposite of what you want to be doing. Direct opposite. Here's the thing is God won't stand for it. And what you need to know this morning is that you won't be able to retain that relationship with God and walk in the world for very long. For very long. You'll be the most miserable person on the planet. Why don't I have any joy? Why am I not, you know, just exuberant? And, and how come the Holy Spirit isn't falling on me? Well, perhaps you have another lover in your life. Maybe that's the problem. Perhaps the issue is idolatry. Perhaps you are pursuing pleasure over the Lord. It's called hedonism. The pursuit of pleasure at all cost. James uses this word in the Greek, it's hedone, translates into the English hedonist. Hedonist. He's talking about, he, he, he's talking about pleasure or passion in the ESV language. That's the Greek word. Twice he mentions it. What's the issue in these believers' lives? Their aim is to live for pleasure. 
Their aim is to be happy at all costs. James wants us to understand that the hedonistic mindset has always existed and will always exist. And the Lord wants to address it in our lives this morning. If your aim is to have comfort, ease, and pleasure, that's a hedonistic mindset. If you avoid godliness at all cost, you know, in terms of what, what it might cost you to become more godly, the sacrifices that are required, the denial of flesh, then you're a hedonist. And the Lord says, listen, I want you to come out of that. He called the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he's called you out of the world. We're to live in the world, and we're to be functional in the world, and we're to be a light in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We have to be careful because the world is so enticing. It draws us in. Before we know it, we are stuck in this mindset of living for ourselves. And so this is a wake-up call, day one of 2023. Who are you living for? You living for the Lord or are you living for yourselves? By way of reminder, James again is writing to Christians. He wants them to understand that, uh, that they, they need to choose. Are you going to live for the Lord or are you going to live for yourself? The problem with hedonism in the church is that it promotes a lifestyle that's contrary to how we're called to live. So let me illustrate this. Let me give you some parallels. Hedonism says that life is about seeking pleasure at all cost. Christianity says life is all about bringing glory to God at all cost. Hedonism says stay self-focused. Christianity says be others-focused. Hedonism says live for the now. Christianity says live for eternity. Hedonism and Christianity are at philosophical odds with one another. Those in the church are alive for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to bring glory to God, not for the pleasure of self. Paul said it like this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That means that when we crown Jesus the Lord of our lives, that there should be a fundamental shift in the way that we're living. We're no longer living for ourselves. Hey, we've all done that. We see how that works out. Doesn't work out too great, does it? When you live for the Lord, uh, everything changes, and you start going down the right path. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's the right path, and it will bring you more pleasure than you could ever find in the world. That's the crazy thing about it. You don't forsake the Lord to find pleasure in the world. In so doing, you'll find misery. You find pleasure in the Lord, or you seek the Lord, and you'll find pleasure in the Lord, and that will last for all of eternity. The Lord wants us to avoid these things. When we come to Christ, he becomes the king of our life. We're to live for the Lord and to live for others. Hedonism is a problem because pleasure becomes the pursuit of one's life rather than the glory of God. Thus, it becomes an idol. And we all know we're to have no other gods before us. Why? Why? Because God is some jealous God. He's like, no, I'm going to get glory from you. No, because he's trying to avoid disaster in your life. That's why, because he wants what's best for you. And idols aren't what's best for you. They will lead you down a, a road of self-destruction. Uh, idolatry over-promises and under-delivers, folks. 
That's the reality. Let me ask you, can pleasure keep you from eternal, eternal damnation? Can pleasure satisfy the desires of your soul? Can pleasure raise people from the dead or heal the sick or cause the lame to walk? No. But it can become a false god that will end up destroying your life. Hey, understand, the problem isn't pleasure itself. You know, those who would demonize pleasure, uh, you know, because people make it idol, the idol of their life, uh, that, hey, that, that's a wrong mentality. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. People make their children idols. Do we tell them not to have children anymore? <laughs> no. The issue is not pleasure. The issue is the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. That's the problem. God created us to enjoy pleasure. Did you know that? He created us to be people that can enjoy pleasure. He's given us the ability to enjoy good food and sex and all kinds of other things in the right context. For example, we can have great food. It can bring us pleasure, but we must not become gluttons, lest pleasure become the pursuit of our heart. Sex is given by God, and it's to be enjoyed only in the confines of biblical marriage, which, by the way, is between a man and a woman. But we can make it an idol if we pursue it outside of those confines. God has given us these things. He's given us lots of things in life that we can enjoy and find pleasure in. But we have to keep it in the right context. The ultimate manifestation of pleasure in this life is found in only one place. A personal relationship with God the Father through God the Son. If you want to truly find pleasure in this life, that is where you will find it. You can search the world over twice. You won't find it in the world, folks. You find it in Jesus. Jesus is our pleasure. Hey, he's the one that created us. He knows what makes us tick. The one place that we need to go if we're seeking to to be truly happy, as it were, is Jesus Christ. We go to him. And him alone. David said it like this in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David wrote this before Jesus existed on this earth as the incarnate son of God. He understood that Jesus is where we're going to find pleasure. And he's telling you and I, hey, look to Jesus if you desire Pleasure in this life. No idol can offer us this kind of pleasure. It will end up leaving you totally bankrupt. How do we know? Because the wisest man in the world said so. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. Listen to what Solomon said. And he knows because he tried. Here's what he says. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. What you will find yourself... Uh, The place you'll find yourself is total bankruptcy if you pursue pleasure at all cost. You will not find it. You'll destroy your life. And the Lord wants us to avoid those kinds of things. James tells us that friendship with the world is a result of hedonism, the result of the pursuit of pleasure. When we embrace hedonism, we're embracing the world, and God's not okay with that. It stands in direct opposition of everything that God desires for us. Thus, hedonism leads to conflict in the life of a believer. Hedonism lives to, uh, leads to conflict in the life of the believer. Christians have the spirit of God in them. 
and they are... Uh, they, they, are, they will not be content being married with God while holding hands with the world. It will lead to conflict. There's three specific ways that hedonism will lead to conflict. Uh, it'll lead to conflict with others. It will lead to conflict within uh, or ourselves. And finally, it will lead to conflict with God. Hence the title of my message this morning, The Confliction of Hedonism. This is what James wants us to understand in these six verses of James chapter 4 this morning. If you're taking notes, my first point is hedonism leads to conflict with others. Look at verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? What, what, what is it? James is asking a very a pointed question and it's a telling question. He wants to know, hey, what is the, what's the cause of the quarrels and the fighting that's among you? Why are you guys not living at peace, gathering together, being united, and conquering the world? Why are you quarreling and fighting? The word quarrel in the Greek speaks of waging war. Against who? Each other. They're waging war against each other. It carries the ideas of series of attacks with specific, like you're strategizing, how can I conquer my brother? How can I conquer my sister? Are you serious? You would strategize on how to do that? Yeah, if you're in the wrong mindset. The word fight here in the Greek speaks of serious conflict, either physical or non-physical, but clearly intensive and bitter. There's some serious infighting amongst the believers that James is writing to some 2,000 years ago, and not much has changed. There is some serious infighting amongst the church today. That's why the church is so weak, folks. The enemy's ploy to divide us is working, and we are far weaker as a result. Jesus said in Mark chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, I understand the context is that Jesus is being called Beelzebub. But, but, but understand this, the principle remains. Jesus said, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house of God will not be able to stand. Conflict within the church is not the will of God. And listen, churches will fall as a result of infighting within a church. Not the church, but a church. Church divisions, church you know, separations and, and those, you know, those things over stupid stuff. Why? Because man's living for themselves. I don't, you know, the proverbial, I don't like the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. Praise God. We don't have that problem here. We probably have many other problems. I don't like the stuff on the walls. How come you put that on there? It's to remind you. There's a reason. If it doesn't point to Jesus, then, it's, then we shouldn't be doing it, though. We should be pointing to Jesus. Jesus said, listen, you got to stay united. you got to stay united, and that's going to require you to die to yourself. Listen to what uh, John said in uh, John chapter 13. This is, G- or this is Jesus, John 13, 34 and 35. This is what he wants. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus prayed for the church to be one. In his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 21, 
He says that they, speaking of us, the church, that the church may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, they, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We're called to be unified in Jesus Christ, folks. And I'm not talking about ecumenicalism. What does that mean? Unity at all costs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about unity in the foundation of Christianity. I'm talking about unity in Jesus Christ and him crucified. All the other things are secondary issues, and we ought not be divided over these things, folks. We stand for truth, and we want to uh, lift, our, lift those up in, in the truth that we can, but uh, listen, at the end of the day, Jesus calls us to be a unified church. It is not about Calvary Chapel. It is not about Church of Christ. It is not about First Baptist or whatever you call yourself. It's not about those names at all, folks. It's about Jesus Christ. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then be a uniter in the body. Don't be a divider. That's the enemy. And he loves to use us to divide the body. Hey, if we can't stay unified under one roof, how in the world are we going to be unified when, it go, when we go outside of the four walls of the church? Not going to happen. James points to the source of the confliction here. He said, let me answer the question for you. I know exactly why you're quarreling and fighting amongst yourselves. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's the issue here, the, the warring and the confliction and, and all of these things, the disunity between brothers and sisters in Christ is their passions, literally their hedonism. They held their own desires above others. Hey, that's the handiwork of the flesh, folks. If you walk around your home and you're like, have an expectation of others to do things you yourself aren't going to do, that, that's living for yourself, Jesus was the example. He lived for others, and he calls the body of Christ to live for others. We're to consider others' interests above our own. When you get a bunch of sinners in a room, there's a potential for the flesh to come out and for fighting to happen as a result of what? Passions. But I don't like it that way. I like it this way. It's really selfish. Hey, let me illustrate for you. We just celebrated, uh, you know, Christmas, and that is the gathering of families. Anybody have a cousin Eddie that showed up to Christmas this year, and they're like, oh, boy, here's this guy. This guy, it destroys our holidays as we gather together as family. Listen, when you get sinners in a room, you get sinners in a room, folks, there's a potential for a fight, and I don't care if they're redeemed or not. The end of the day is it depends on the mentality of the person. You and I all know that we've all had less than perfect family gatherings. Amen? But, it's, but it generally comes back to this hedonism. I don't like that. Therefore, you adapt to my likes or we're going to have a problem. It's totally selfish. And this mentality spills over into the church. And that not ought be the case for Christians, folks. Our passions are the problem. 
Our passions, our hedonism is the problem. We quarrel and fight amongst each other because our desires make us super selfish. And we want things our way. Jesus instructed us that we're to die to self and live for Christ. Hey, that means that we must consider the interests of others more than our own. Killing our passions within. It requires denying of self. Jesus said it like this in Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And was he kidding about that? This is a command from Jesus Christ, the one that we're following. He said, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. And that means deny yourself in a whole bunch of different ways, folks. It means deny yourself, deny your desires and your pleasures, and you seek the Lord. If you don't deny yourself, you're going to feed the beast of the flesh, and you will reap the fruit of the flesh, period. we got to starve the flesh out. Beat, the, beat your body into submission, Paul says. Beat your flesh into submission by the Spirit of God. Not in and of yourselves. I'm just going to do, do more and try harder and all of these kind of things. I'm going to be more disciplined and structured and all that. That's all great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's not in the Spirit, you will fail. You, got, you need the Holy Spirit, folks, to live the life that Christ is calling us to live. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us the helper so that we can live the life that he's calling us to. We should care about um, more about our peace with others rather than our personal pleasure. If you don't, there will be fighting. Well, not only does hedonism lead to conflict with others, but also with self. Look at the last part of verse 1 again. He says, is it uh, not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your own passions. Listen, this, these, these verses here are some of the most taken out of context verses in the Bible. The principle is laid down for sure. But understand the principle. This is a rebuke against people who are living in the world, who are Christians who are living for the world. And they're, they're living selfishly. They're not denying themselves and stuff. Notice what James says here. Our passions not only create conflict with others, but conflict within. The word war here describes a raging battle going on in the heart of the believer to, to do good and resist evil. Anybody know that war well? Anybody in this room understand that war when you're trying to do all the right things, but then you also fall into the wrong things? Even though you're trying to do the right things. Paul knows what uh, that feels like. He talks about this in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. Now, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Listen to this. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. It's a great place to start when it comes to denying yourself, folks. For I have desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, 
It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Listen to this. What a miserable person this person is. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I serve, uh, so I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He's talking about the war within a person who's a believer who's trying to live for Christ. You know, ultimately you're delivered from the body of death. One day you're going to shut your eyes on this earth, you're going to breathe your last breath, and you will be with the Lord, and you will be perfect. You know, no longer have this war waging within you. But until then, you will have this war every day of your life. Listen, the number one enemy is you yourself. You need to get up in the, I love uh, Damian Kyle, one of the pastors I listen to, Calvary Chapel Modesto. He says, he look, I got to look at myself in the mirror every day and say, I'm going to battle you all day long. I'm going to battle you all day long. Why? Because there's a war within us. Paul says, you know, we need to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh, but we're flipping back and forth between spirit and flesh and spirit and flesh. It's a mentality that we need to recognize and we need to, we need to understand that we don't have the ability to carry out all the good that we desire to do. The desire is there and we rest in the spirit to give us the power to do these things. Paul is suggesting that <laughs> this won't be easy, but it's doable. It's doable. He understands where to win the war and it's not within. It's the cross of Calvary is where you win the war here, folks. It's the crucified cross, or crucified Christ and the risen Savior of the world. That's where we find the victory over this war that, we, that is within us. You might be saying, man, I know it's, it's, it's so hard though, Pastor. Yeah, I know. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, so that we can win the war within. God gave us the power of the indwelling Spirit to overcome our flesh. James goes on to describe this war. He says, when, when, when you and I, or when these believers don't have what they want, listen, you have two options. You get to choose what you're going to do as a believer. Unbeliever, there's really no choice. You're going to walk in the flesh. Believer, you have two choices. You can get what you want at all costs, hedonism, or you can simply be content with what the Lord gives you. Those are your options when you don't have what you want. James says that these folks murder when they do not have what they desire. They literally lose their mind over their desires. He, he may be speaking of physical murder here. That, that's possible. But he's certainly speaking uh, uh, about anger in the form of bitter hatred. You know what Jesus said about anger, right? He said, listen. He said, if you, if you get angry with a person, you've murdered them. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. John writes in 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. They don't stop at desire, folks, but, but James goes on to say they also covet and cannot obtain, so they fight and quarrel. 
<laughs> As the saying goes, hey, misery loves company, right? I'm at war within myself, so you might as well be too. I'm going to make your life miserable as well. And, and that's what happens. But it all comes from the war within. You have to understand the source. You know, we, we talk about um, when you go into the world and you, you cross paths with people and how they respond to you. You know, the, the saying is like, hey, you never know what someone's going through, right? You never know what somebody's going through. You don't know what's going on in their life, you, you know, and, and what's causing them to lash out at you. When is the last time, in those moments, when is the last time, and I hope it's been really recent, maybe in the, even this morning on the way to church, that when that happened, you said, hey, you recognize, Lord, I know that's a battle within them. And God, I'm just going to pray for that person right now that you will, you will resolve the conflict in their own heart and, and that you'll bring peace in their life because it starts within. That's the problem. Hey, those are the symptoms, folks, when we're lashing out at each other for no reason. Those are symptoms. That's not the problem. The problem is there's something going on in here. Recognize the problem. Hey, be a solution to the problem. Don't be a contributor to it. Don't, don't respond with the same kind. Did you get what I said there? Any gift of interpretation there? Listen. Understand the battle. Understand the battle. The problem probably is not you. The problem is probably that person and what they're going through in their life. Recognize that. James says these people are so frustrated. They're looking out. They don't have what they want. And they're so frustrated that they're letting that come out and they're projecting that on other people. And maybe you've experienced that in the church. You're in and, you know, you've experienced believers who are going through things and they're not, not super nice to you. Understand the battle. Know where it's coming from. James goes on to give us some insight here to the issue. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Hey, part of the reason why uh, we don't have is because we don't ask the Lord. There's no prayer involved. There's just these expectations that we set up that are like, Lord, you need to do this. Hey, I, I've stepped out, Lord. Now you need to do it as it. Did he tell you to step out? Or are you just doing that on your own? Oh, Lord, here I am. I've done it. Hey, build it and they will come kind of mentality. Listen, you're directed by the Lord. He's not directed by you. You're directed by him. He's your Lord. You follow his path. And, and, and so people just walk life prayerlessly. They don't pray about anything. They just do, do the next thing that they know to do, and then they're frustrated when they don't have what they, Lord, how come I'm not having these things? You're not asking. You're essentially telling me what you want me to do. You're commanding me. That's the, that's the idea when you're walking in life with, without praying about anything. Rather than spending time in prayer, man, these people are too busy scheming and fighting. They have not because they've asked not. And listen, he goes, then when you do ask, these people do not receive because they're asking wrongly. They're asking hedonistically. God, I want this for my pleasure, even if it's contrary to your word. Hey, I know God to be a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is, folks. You know the song. He is a good father. He'd be a horrible father 
if he bent and gave in to all your whims and your desires. He'd be a horrible father. Anybody who understands parenting knows that if you give in to every whim of your child, your child is gonna be a disaster. Don't do that. God doesn't do that. He's a good dad. He doesn't give us the things that we ask for often because he knows we're asking amiss. We're asking for our own personal pleasure. Lord, oh, just, just give me this person, Lord. Here's what happens, though. When we come asking in prayer, we ask the Lord, Lord, give me this person as my spouse. And the Lord says, then, then we have an opportunity for God to align our hearts with his in that moment. That's what prayer does. Prayer aligns your heart with God. He, he's not up there going, I wonder what they want. Huh. I wonder what they would like. You know, he knows what you want. He knows what you need. But he wants you to have that relationship where you're communicating with him. Why? So he can show you things. So he can help reveal your heart to yourself. Oh, Lord, I, oh, I just found this person in there. I want them to be my spouse and all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Holy Spirit says, yeah, but they're not a believer. What are you doing? Oh, I know. I know, but I can make them one, Lord. You know I can. I'm an evangelist. I can do this, Lord. But it's contrary to the word. I'm not going to give you that. Now, here's the deal. You can go get it, but I'm not giving it to you. The Lord doesn't. And then, and then 20 years down the line, people are going, man, my, my marriage is a disaster, and I don't understand what happened. Well, take me back to the beginning. Did God call you to marry the person? Well, you know, wasn't a believer, and I, I you know, I, or I, you know, he had some signs or whatever. Listen. Do not be unequally yoked. And that's just one simple example, folks. There are a zillion examples in the Bible of these kinds of things that we go to the Lord. I'll give me that job, Lord. If you give me that job, it's going to be great for my family. I'll be able to give more and all these kind of things. And, and the Lord goes, no, I'm not going to give that to you. Why? Because it's going to derail your walk with me. Because all your investment is going to be in that. Your pursuit will be a worldly pursuit rather than a godly pursuit. Why would I give that to you? Why would, you know, I'm not going to stop you from doing it if you want to do it, but I'm not giving it to you. And then we blame God. Then we blame him. God, why did you do this? Why did you allow me to? Because of free will. Because of free will. Because he will not control you. Man, you have not because you ask not. And you don't receive because you ask wrongly. We need to be asking the Lord. We need to be seeking God with a humble heart to receive the answer from him. And sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's not, hey, not now. Pray. Allow the, God, allow the Lord to shape your desires. Lord, is, is this isn't of you, then don't let it happen, Lord. <laughs> you know, we pray that and then we go make it happen. But Lord, change my heart if this isn't you. Change my desires, God, if this isn't you. Ask him. Don't, don't come with the hedonistic mindset of, Lord, just give me what I want. This reminds me of the prodigal son when we're talking about the war within. Perfect example. 
He goes to his dad. You know the story, Luke chapter 15. Goes to his dad and says, hey, give, give me my inheritance. I'm going to just go spend it, man. I'm just going to go have a blast in the world. And you know what? His father gave it to him, which is interesting. Father said, okay, well, it's yours. Here you go. Have your way. That's called a life lesson. Go for it. So, you know, he goes and lives wildly and does his thing. And he spends everything that he has. The world uh, starts to collapse on top of it all. He finds himself a, a pig farmer feeding pigs with the pods. And he's, and, he, and he's so hungry that he desires to eat the pig food, the slop that they're feeding the pigs because he has nothing. And I love the verse, I love the section where it says, and he, but he came to his senses. Like he's looking around at his circumstances and he goes, dude, what am I doing here? How did I get here? Oh, remember, you wanted your inheritance. You wanted to go live your life. You were seeking pleasure over uh, what you had. You were seeking pleasure over peace. So this is what you get. The Lord gave him a life lesson. But he came to his senses. Don't you love that God lets you come to your senses? Like he doesn't just go, okay, well, it's over for you, buddy. Now you, may, you know, like we sometimes say, you know, you made your bed, now you're going to lay in it. You know, there's always so much grace and mercy with God that he came to his senses and he rose up out of the slop and the, the mud and all of that and he goes, I'm going to go to my dad's house and worst case scenario, I'll just be a servant for him. He had no expectation of becoming where he was. He didn't expect to walk in and, uh, you know, be one of the, one of the uh, you know heirs of the of the place. He he had he had made he understood. Hey, I made some bad choices. His dad's not the problem. He's the problem. And so he gets up and he and he decides to go home. And you know the story. When his dad sees him from afar off, he runs to him. That's a picture of God. And we sang the song this morning. Run to the Father. You know the Father runs to us when we come to our senses. And we recognize, man, what am I doing? Why am I living my life like this, Lord? I'm living my life for myself. I, gotta, I, won't, I don't want to do that anymore. It's led me into a place where I have no peace, where, you know, maybe even things are going well around me, but I am not prospering internally, like I'm dying. And that's perhaps, that is the result of a, a, a believer who's trying to live in the world. It's the loneliest place in the world to be if you're a Christian is trying to live in the world. You don't belong there, and you feel like it, and you don't fit in. And so you come to your senses, and you run to the Father, but he's already running to you. The moment you turn, the moment you get up and make that decision to come back to him, he runs to you and rescues you, because he loves you. He's a good dad. He, le he teaches us life lessons for sure, but but he, but he will be there for us when we turn away from worldlyism or from hedonism or from when we swallow our pride and come back to him. He's right there for us. All he's looking for is genuine repentance, folks. Genuine repentance. If that's you this morning and you're distant from God, hey, he's just looking for you to turn your heart back to him. You understand the source is hedonism, pleasure, all these kinds of things. You're seeking the wrong thing. And the Father's just waiting. Hey, when are you going to come back? It's so much better over here. 
So you, you get up and you run to him. Come to the Lord today. If that's, not, if that's you, come. Let, let the war internally be over by turning your heart away from those things and turning to the Lord. Well, not only does hedonism lead to conflict with others, uh, with ourselves, with, uh, and, but also with God. Look at verse 4. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This, this is so, such strong language here. What James is saying. He says, you adulterous people. He's essentially calling them spiritual whores. Essentially calling them spiritual whores here. You adulterous people. You unfaithful people. Exact same language God said through the prophet Hosea regarding the nation of Israel. You're playing the whore over and over again in the book of, uh, in the book of Hosea. It's in the Bible, the word whore. It's in the Bible. He says, hey, you want to commit spiritual adultery, you know, and, and the Lord says, man, you're, you're, you're being a spiritual whore. Don't do that. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? And the illustration in Hosea is the Lord and how he responds to spiritual whoredom. And you know how he does it? He, he goes out and gets you. Hosea, you marry a prostitute and she's going to just go out on you constantly. She's going to be unfaithful to you, even to the point where you have to buy her back at one point because she's gone out and, done, and, and, and left you high and dry over and over again. But I want you to go get her again. This is an illustration of the nation of Israel and how they have abandoned ship and how their, their lover is Baal. Their lover is idolatry. They're worshiping other gods, and yet I'm the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they have gone unfaithful towards me, and that, the nation of Israel is still in that place, still in that place as a nation. The Lord giving an illustration, saying, hey, you, all he's waiting for is for them to turn their heart. He'll go, he, he'll, he'll go after us. Jesus said, I leave the 99 to go after the one. You know, we as the church are the bride of Christ, and, and so when we, as the bride of Christ, when we step out on the Lord, you know, we're, we're committing adultery with the world, with our, ple- with, our, with our desires, whatever they might be. Our side fling is hedonism. And James says, that won't work, folks. God doesn't stand for that. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What does he mean, friendship with the world? It means that the world's your side gig, your side fling. You know, oh, I love the Lord, but you're really, at, at the same time, holding hands with the world, like I said earlier. If you want to be friends with the world, you'll be an enemy of God. So what he's saying. There's no, no way around it. God is a jealous God. Listen to what it says. He yearns. He yearns jealously. Like he wants so badly for the right things in your life, that he's yearning jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, the Holy Spirit. Spirit that he's he wants to, you to avoid all this pain in life by turning your heart to him. But friendship with the world is enmity with God. And then he goes on in verse six. But he gives more grace. 
Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is him quoting Proverbs 3.34, which says, Toward the scornful, he is scornful. Towards the scorners, he's scornful. But to the humble, he gives favor. The, the true issue with hedonism is pride. It, it's pride. That's the issue. The, the solution is humility. The, the solution is humility. It, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. You know, and, and God will make your life as hard as you want it to be because he opposes the proud. But, it, but man, he's gracious. He's so gracious to us. And when we come in humility towards him, he, he, he gives us so much grace. How ridiculous is it that we would try and bully or intimidate the Lord to do what we want? God, you're going to do... The, everything in this passage flies in the face of the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine, folks. It's so contrary to what they teach because that teaching is all about self. And apparently that was going on 2,000 years ago. It's all about you. But it's not. It's about him. It's about making your chief M, your chief end, the glory of God. That's what it's about. And I promise you, if you come in humility and you obtain the grace, you will find the pleasure you seek. You'll find it. It's there. I started with a quote from Leonard Ravenhill. I want to end with one. He died in 1994, and he saw the direction of the church, where the church was going. He said this, The true man of God is heartsick, grieved at the worldliness of the church, grieved at the tolerance of sin in the church, grieved at the prayerlessness of, in the church. He is disturbed that the corporate prayer of the church no longer pulls down the strongholds of the devil. Is that not true? The church is at enmity with God, with God when she makes friends with the world. This is, we're not called to be seeker-friendly. We're called to be biblical Christians that stand for the truth. And in a culture that calls everything offensive. But we don't tone it down, folks. That's the problem with the church is we've toned it down. We don't tone it down. That's not for us to do. We live according to the scriptures. We tell people about the, what the scriptures say, not our opinions, what the scriptures say, and we don't tone it down for anybody. You don't tone it down for anybody. Leonard Ravenhill saw the direction of the church, and he's saying, man, she's at enmity with God. She's made friends with the world, and it's not going to go well. We have a personal decision to make this morning, and that is, am I at enmity with God? Am I going to live in a hedonistic mindset? Am I going to live uh, pursuing the world? Am I going to live according to the Lord? Corporately, the church has fed into the hedonistic mindset by being uh, the, the you know, uh, people-centered kind of organization that does things that please people. We're not doing that. We don't do that. We're not going to do things because it pleases people, it pleases man. And the question is, you don't want to be part of that either. Listen, the Lord's calling us to look at our own hearts this morning. What am I living for? What is the Lord uh, 
speaking to me about this morning in this passage. It all starts with one person, and then that's a chain reaction to another person, another person, and you start living for the Lord. Everybody knows the church needs revival, and it starts by turning away from the world. Starts by turning away from the world, and that's a personal decision that you have to make this morning. What is my chief end? Is my chief end to find pleasure at all cost, or is my chief end to glorify God and enjoy Him forever? What is my chief end? I'll leave you with that question. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we, we thank you for not only giving us the problem, but giving us the solution to the problem. The problem is hedonism. The solution is humility. That we would humble ourselves before you. Lord, that we would recognize our, that when our desires are off, that your word would guide and direct and lead us in these things. And Father, this morning, as we start out January 1st, 2023. God, we want to start out on the right foot. We want to start out on the right foot this year, Lord. We want to, may this be a year that we pursue you like we've never pursued you before, God. We ask for personal revival in our hearts, Lord. Even though the church might be slipping, Lord, I want to make a stand for you today and I don't want to be at enmity with you I want to be in right relationship with you God I want to forsake the world in, in the sense that I don't want the things of the world they, they bring emptiness and if that's you this morning you just pray this prayer of repentance Lord I just want to come and I want to ask you to forgive me God for pursuing my own personal pleasure over you for not being willing to deny myself in certain areas of my life. God, I, I just want to humble myself before you. You are worthy of all sacrifice that I make, Lord. You're worthy, God, of me denying myself. You're worthy of me beating my body into submission, God. I want to have your desires this morning. place this morning and you are not in right relationship, you can come to Christ right now. It's the same prayer in general, surrender, crowning Jesus the Lord. But you just pray this prayer right where you are. Father, I come in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I turn away from that life that I was once living and I turn to you now. I've come to my senses this morning, Lord. And I'm returning, and I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm seeking forgiveness of my sins, and I believe that Jesus died, and he rose again from the dead for me personally. And I want to make him the Lord of my life. So here's my life. You have it, and just lead me from this day forward, Lord. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.